brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Let's ask the retiree who finds out that the pensions haven't been fully funded. Do they think that it's a good thing to leverage debt when it potentially makes their retirement funds not fully funded? Hi, fellow Virginians. Hi, fellow Virginians. It's day one. Let's get to work. On this episode of Pod Virginia, Virginia's $1 billion debt burden. That's $300 for each and every taxpayer. To think that you want to use pensions for leverage, I think it's a risky proposition. We're joined by Christine Kuglin at Truth in Accounting. Virginia is one of the states that we call a switcheroo state. You are listening to Pod Virginia. Stick around. As many as favor that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The motion is agreed to. Support for Pod Virginia comes from the Virginia Poverty Law Center, the League of Conservation Voters Education Fund, Dominion Energy, and Patreons who are listeners like you. I'm Michael Pope. I'm Thomas Spellman. And this is Pod Virginia, a podcast where we've got more assets than liabilities, at least for now. People familiar with Virginia's government may know we have a constitutional amendment that requires a balanced budget, but we don't have one. To help us understand all the numbers, we're joined by Christine Kuglin at Truth in Accounting. Christine, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you and all of your listeners. So as Thomas just pointed out, there's this constitutional requirement to have a balanced budget. 
But that does not mean that there's not a debt burden. I think a lot of our listeners might have difficulty squaring that circle. Explain to our listeners how it's possible to have a balanced budget and then also have a debt burden despite that. Right. It is confusing, isn't it? Well, the balanced budget really takes a look at an annual, what is coming in as far as revenues for the state government or or municipality and what is going out. And it's only really looking at the current period, much like if you were to um, set up your finances as a family and you looked at what is coming in this month and you set up your budget so that you weren't spending anything over what you can anticipate to come in. If you can make that happen, that's called a balanced budget. But that doesn't mean that you're paying any prior debt that you had. It doesn't mean you're paying off your mortgage. It doesn't mean that you're paying off your credit cards or your car loan. All it means is that you're able to, that you're spending only what you have um, currently coming in. So it's just looking at a, a current situation and not what you might have in total amount of debt. All right. So these numbers we're looking at today, they're from 2021. And I understand that your organization will release a newer version of this document next month. What can you tell us about that? So specifically to the document from 2021, and I'll talk about uh, the one that we're going to be releasing at the end of October. uh, Virginia had a basically a, a debt burden after if you took out all of the assets that Virginia had and you subtracted out all of the long-term bills or liabilities, they basically had a shortfall of almost a billion dollars. It was $987 million. And if you took the citizens of Virginia and spread that debt around, it means that each one of uh, Virginia's taxpayers, and again, this is last year, would have had to come up with 300 additional dollars if all of that debt burden would have come due uh, in, you know, immediately. So while the budget was balanced, that could very well be true. The bottom line is that each Virginia taxpayer still would have had to come up with an additional $300 to pay off all of the debt that Virginia had. Virginia couldn't sell all of its assets and pay off the uh, debt it's owed. You, you know, it'd be like if you sold your house and you paid off uh, the remaining mortgage on the house, but let's say that you had taken out a second on it, you couldn't necessarily have the money to pay the second or it doesn't mean you could necessarily pay off your credit cards. You would still have debt. And that was the situation Virginia was in last year. So that's last year's position. What about the document your organization will soon release? Next month, you're going to release the 2022 version of this, which will have all the pandemic era money. I mean, so like the numbers that we're looking at today, and we'll continue to look at them in this podcast, but just briefly, let's preview the next document, which we don't have in our hands yet, but that's the document that's going to have all the pandemic era federal relief money in it, right? So what kind of preview can you give us to the next version of Virginia's report card that you'll be issuing next month? So I actually, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the surprise. It's coming out on October 25th. So I encourage all of you and your listeners to take a look at it when it comes out and see the specifics. But the good news at state levels um, is that the federal government gave the states quite a lot of money to help cover those pandemic related expenses. So of course that 
has put our federal deficit in a much worse position. But our states have um, mostly, mostly, I say, there was one state, and there's, there'll be a surprise on that, that actually even got worse in spite of getting all of that pandemic, pandemic-related funding. But most of the states improved. And it wasn't just the pandemic-related funding that um, assisted the states in, in this improvement, but also the fact that the stock market went up so much last year. So we had two very positive financial uh, circumstances surrounding the status of state governments, and that was federal governments giving the state's money and stock market improvements so that investments, uh, state investments also increased in valuation. But now if we take a look moving forward, and I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, that's going to be on our report coming out in October. But let's think ahead and what it might look like in 2023 when pandemic-related funding obviously has decreased um, substantially. And we all know what the stock markets are doing right now. Um, it, it's not very pretty. And so while I want to say there's some good news coming, it may be short-lived. Short-lived. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out. You said that's October 25th, so we'll be sure to look for it. But let's get back to 2021. The largest amount of debt on here is from bonds, things like bridges or university libraries. Virginia's got about $30 billion in bonds. And what are all those bonds paying for? Well, you, you um, listed them. And I want to even put a caveat that says that all of the bonds that Virginia is involved in isn't even listed here. If you go into the state's annual comprehensive financial report, it's referred to as an ACFR, A-C-F-R, it used to be called a CAFR. But if you look at it and you go in and look at the bonds, um, it does cover things like bridges and funding for universities or other things. But they also help uh, in organizations with more uh, bond raising funds. So you, know, you have to understand what is a bond. And I don't know if all your listeners understand that. A lot of times people don't, they hear it. But basically, when whether it's a private company or state wants to raise money, and so rather than going out and looking for, you know, basically a big bank loan, they will issue what they call bonds. And these are for individual or organizational investors to lend the state money. And the state in turn says, I will pay you a guaranteed interest payment and I will guarantee I will pay you the original amount that you lent to me when the bond comes due at the end of the bond's life. So the state of Virginia not only issues these bonds or debt and allows individuals to lend them this money, but they also help other institutions and organizations in Virginia raise these kinds of debts. But they say that they're not actually going to be backing the bonds, but through moral authority kind of will back the bonds, but those bonds aren't even listed in this, in this bond debt. So it's a very complicated issue when it comes to these bonds. There's a lot of debt in Virginia's bonds. 
you know, it's complicated, but you're you're making this simple for us, which I really appreciate. Like you're, you're taking this complicated subject and making it digestible for us and our listeners. So um, looking at this list here of money in and money out that your organization puts together, there's an, another line item here that I want to make sure we talk about because it's so important to Virginia's financial situation. And we see this with states all across the country having problem here with unfunded pension benefits. We've got $8.5 billion worth of unfunded pension benefits in Virginia. And I know this is a problem with states across the country. And isn't it true that we only have recently gained access to these kinds of numbers that had been obscured previously, right? So talk a little bit about the burden of unfunded pension benefits. You're exactly right. Um, we the, the Governmental Accounting Standards Board didn't require the states to even report this until, oh, I, I believe it was around 2015, and, and I may be off a bit. But uh, so when the state promises pension benefits to its state employees, previous employees, current employees, previously, they didn't even have to report it because it was it was thought of as almost like a pay as you go that we'll pay. We'll worry about this when it comes around. We will make sure that we have enough money in the current period to pay those those um, pension benefits. And there's also the unfunded uh, retiree health care benefits. It's they call those post retirement benefits that states will guarantee to their employees that they'll help them out with their insurance once they retire and, and any other benefits. But it used to be that we didn't have to that states didn't have to report that. They could just pay for it as they go. But then the Governmental Accounting Standards Board came around and now are requiring to to report the total amount of these unfunded benefits. So think of it from the employees, the state employees' um, perspective. You are working for a state government, a lot of them their whole working life, 25, 30, 35 years. And they're assuming that the state is setting aside money that when they retire, they will have their retirement is guaranteed and it's funded and they don't have to worry about it. But the truth of the matter is most of the states um, have not adequately funded the retirement plans. They put a portion away, maybe it's 40%, 60%, 80%, but it's not um, completely funded. And part of what they're relying on because just like we, if I have, I have my own individual retirement plan, it's in a 401k and I put it into the stock market. There's not a lot of places to put our, our retirement plans. The states also invest in the stock market and they assume a certain rate of return. They say, okay, if I put this much away for the state employees retirement plan, the stock market will have enough in gains to maybe help make up some of that difference. Can I ask you a quick question about yeah. that? So in, in preparing for this podcast, I called up a member of the House Appropriations Committee and I asked him about these numbers. And he said, you know, just because there's debt out there, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to have debt, especially, in fact, sometimes it's responsible to have debt if you've got a situation where you've got really low interest rates, which of course we've had, and that this debt actually helps Virginia get like a triple A bond rating. So, I mean, isn't there a positive side to having some of this debt? Well, I ask you this, let's, uh, let's, I think that's a very subjective uh, proposition. 
you might, I'm not going to dispute what this person said to you because there is, there is truth to that. If when we had during the pandemic, basically the government was lending at 0%. And if you could get 0%, that was great. And you can leverage, they call it leverage. We can use that to uh, get other things we need. But let's ask the retiree. Let's ask this 52-year-old, 62-year-old person who finds out that the pensions haven't been fully funded. Do they think that it's a good thing to leverage um, debt when it potentially makes their um, retirement funds not fully funded? So some of that comes you know, you can't dispute that that what they said to you doesn't have validity. Of course it does. But do you want to play with older people's retirement pensions? Do you, is that a place that we want there to be debt? I'm posing that as a question. And I guess it depends on to whom I'm posing the question to. But to me, I mean, I'm, I'll be frank, I'm 62 years old. I'm not sure I want anybody playing around and with my pension funds you know the difference is, is if i if i i invest in a pension my own private pension i get to pick how the allocation of my investment goes i can say you know i'm getting old i think i want most of mine in just a savings account or i want it in uh, uh, bonds bonds tend to be more secure and give you guaranteed interest rates but do i want it in a stock market with this assumption i'm going to earn a 7% return which is the amount a lot of states have as, a, as an estimated return amount. Do I want there that kind of risk with my retirement? And so I think it's a, it's a question. State employees don't get a choice. They don't get a choice of where it's there. A lot of times where their pensions are being invested. And so to think that you want to use pensions for leverage I think it's a risky proposition. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I want to follow up on this thing, too, because I'm wondering, since we're experiencing uh, population decline as far as new birth rates go, so uh, younger generations aren't able to replace older generations, and that will eventually affect the revenue. Is there a risk of this being um, a time bomb for Virginia? I think it's a time bomb for everybody, right? I mean, you're exactly right. You've just hit on such a critical point. When you have a pay-as-you-go system, and in, in, in reality, Social Security is really a pay-as-you-go system, right? Anytime you have a pay-as-you-go and the people paying are lesser in numbers than the people to whom those payments go, you're always at the risk of where is that point where there aren't enough people to, to, to pay those who are expecting it. And so it is a ticking time bomb on so many levels, not just at state levels, but social security levels. Um, when we say that like the social security fund is going to run out, there's no magical fund of which you're going to run out, but the number of people paying in 
is going to be far lesser than those withdrawing at some point in time. And then what happens? Where, where do we come up with that money? Either taxes are going to go up substantially or you're going to have the other things which are not going to get paid. Uh, or the governments, you know, if they print more money at the federal level, well, then we have inflation. And so, um, you know, there's all kinds of issues which we have to face uh, on that ticking time bomb question. All right. Well, one other potential ticking time bomb could be Virginia's unfunded health care benefits. So in addition to the unfunded pension benefits, there's also unfunded retiree health care benefits, of which Virginia has more than $2 billion in unfunded retiree health care benefits. Christine, can you put this in the context that we were just putting the pension benefits in and the time bomb and what this could mean for retirees' health care? So this is in many ways even more critical, if you can believe it, even though the dollar amount, you said that the unfunded pension benefits are $8 billion and the unfunded retiree health care benefits are $2 billion. I always like to put things in the context of my own life and my own family because then it makes sense to me. Healthcare is going up at an astronomical rate, right? And when you look at to whom these uh, unfunded retiree healthcare benefits will ultimately be due, they're due to old people. I'm an old person, right? I mean, we're not typically the healthiest of the American population. So you're talking about a benefit that's going up at, at far above the rate of inflation, right? I mean, to pay medical bills, it's going up above the rate of inflation. I can't quote you mm-hmm. numbers, but you, you're looking at an unfunded benefit for an, a population of people who tend to have some of the highest amount of health issues with a with a service needed that's going up above the rate of inflation. So that number is not going to be one that decreases. It is a number that's only going to increase and and most likely add a, an amount that far exceeds any of these other numbers that we're seeing. Yeah, I just did a quick search and it looks like the healthcare spending for the country uh, on average uh, is going up between 5 and almost 10% a year. Uh, over the last several years, projected to be into the well into the trillions of dollars just by 2028. So uh, whatever Virginia's portion is going to be of that, uh, yeah, this could get bad very quickly uh, when you layer on population changes. Exactly. And let's not forget also that we're just coming out of a pandemic where we're still looking at what are the implications of all of the individuals who did get COVID. There's the long haul COVID issues. COVID is continuing to go. And while while people aren't maybe dying as quickly, um, they there's still a lot of hospitalizations or severe medical issues. So we may not have even seen the implications for uh, those types of benefits. They may not even appear for the next five or 10 years based on on this pandemic we just all experienced. All right. So before we end this discussion, I want to make sure that our listeners understand all these. We've been throwing around a lot of numbers here. So I want to put all these numbers in context. There's the $30 billion of bonds. That's debt spending for things like highways and university libraries and that sort of thing. $8.5 billion in unfunded pension benefits, 2.2 
billion dollars worth of unfunded retiree healthcare benefits, then you have to offset all of that debt with the capital assets and the restricted assets. And so at the end of the day, after all is said and done, the debt burden is $1 billion at the end of all of that calculations. That's how we got to the $1 billion that we led with. So um, Christine, put that $1 billion number in context with other states. It seems to me like Virginia is typically viewed as being a more responsible state than other states. I mean, there is a $1 billion debt burden that we've got, but like compared... What, how does that compare to other states? Well, I'm going to give you a couple pieces of good news as we come to the end. One, this number is changing. So Virginia is one of the states that we at Truth and Accounting, we call a switcheroo state. And it, it just uh, funny little terms we come up when we're spending hours and hours looking at data. But I like it. Switcheroo. Switcheroo. Uh, your listeners and you will be happy with the next year's report, I think I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the surprise. I, I'm not going to, you know, get into the whether or not there's an Easter bunny or not. But I think there might be an Easter bunny. And the other thing that is good news: the Easter bunny, by the way, is Uncle Sam that's throwing around federal money for that's pandemic related. That's also temporary. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate you previewing your next report. But isn't that next report? going to be a reflect a one-time change in the financial situation based on one-time dollars from the federal government? Mostly, yes. And also how well the stock market did last year. So we, I, I mean, that's, that's the flip side. I mean, it's this pleasant surprise that you're going to get uh, and and most states are going to get it is a one time thing, and that's one of the things that concerns concerns us. Is it? I'm so glad you brought that up because you cannot, your listeners, you, and certainly not legislators, can assume that if things look better in the report we're putting out, that that is something of which you go out and create more debt. You have to put it into the context of those unique things that happened, record gains in the stock market, which made investments look great. And and, in this year, they look really awful. And federal government went into deep debt in order to help bail states and municipalities out. So, yes, it looks better. It really does. But it is most likely, and we put the caveat in our reports that says, take this with a grain of salt. It looks better and feel good about it, but don't spend it, right? Don't go out and spend it thinking you're rich because it's most likely going to change. So a switcheroo that happened this year could be a different switcheroo next year. So good point. The, the other point is that of why uh, Virginia should feel somewhat good is Virginia is in far better fiscal health than many states. There are many states in far worse fiscal health where as much as close to $60,000 taxpayer each have a burden of of up to $60,000 each. So even in this report where you had $300 taxpayer burden, there are states that have $56,000 or higher. So relatively speaking, Virginia's doing okay. You can, you certainly can do better. But um, you are nowhere near, uh, we call the bottom states sinkhole states. And you're not in that category of where you are in, in the sinkhole. What's the best category that you guys use? We have sunshine states. Sunshine and, states. Okay. And, 
you know, there and there's different reasons why there are states that get into sunshine state status. Alaska is generally in first place, but we all know that Alaska has a very small population and has a lot of natural resources of which to give them a lot of flexibility. And so states like Virginia that face um, any number of complex societal and fiscal issues, if a state like Virginia can get near that sunshine state status, near a top 10 status, then th then you can be looking at a, a good sense of governance. Um, but again, you have to also take it into consideration whether it's a temporary or a potentially ongoing fiscal solvent situation. So the 2021 numbers are what we're talking about today. We're planning for really good numbers for 2022, but it, I'm getting the sense that uh, based off the one-time spend and also the S&P return, which is uh, down 21% year to date and almost 30% from this point last year, yes, uh, that uh, 2023 is going to look really bad. I guess the silver lining is that in other states, it's going to be even worse. Potentially, yes. I mean, yes. If you, if we, if we are wanting to look at our neighbor and say, you know, you're worse off than we are, and that makes us feel good. Then that's what potentially Virginia citizens can do. Schadenfreude works sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, Christine, what would you say the bottom line is for uh, people trying to analyze this document you've put out? Well, the bottom line is is that um, looking at you know in Virginia in 2021. That is probably a very good reflection of generally of where Virginia falls. 2022 is going to look much better. 2023 is going to look much worse. And, you know, you have to look at basically trend lines. And when you look at these kinds of documents, uh, one individual report can give you a snapshot in time. But you want to look at the previous years before and be looking forward in order to get a good idea of where your state lands for its fiscal health, because it's going to be those trends, those overall over time trends that are is going to give you um, the best indication of how your state is doing. All right, let's leave it there. Christine Kuglin at Truth and Accounting. Thanks for the fascinating discussion. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Pod Virginia is a production of Jack Leg Media. Our producer is Arian Ballou, and our advertising sales manager is David O'Connell. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Make sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode of Pod Virginia. This podcast is so jack-legged. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.